The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. The streak is at 18, and it continues to build. Glad to have you along on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell, along with Mark Donahue as we talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And as we record the show this afternoon, the Indians have won 18 straight. They are taking on the Detroit Tigers tonight, looking for 19 in a row. And this streak just continues to build and build and build. Now let's talk about what's going on with the Reds. We'll do that coming up here in just a little bit. But in order to do that, we've got to go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, I I know you've seen a lot of streaks in your life, both on the field and off. But we won't go into the ones that are off. But nonetheless, is this one one of the most amazing streaks you've seen? Well, it's amazing to the extent that you know, I, I think obviously any team that wins 18 in a row, and there's only it's only happened now uh, twice in the last 50 years uh, or more. Uh, it, that, that's amazing in and of itself. But but the Indians have done it. I look at the scores, and they're dominating every game. They're, they're, I have not seen any. Uh, you know better than I, but I have not seen any miraculous, you know, night-ending comebacks where they score seven runs and come from behind and they win. They're just. They're beating every team in every area. They're getting better pitching, better hitting, better defense. They're just right now the best team in baseball, and there's no there's no question about that. They're the best team in baseball. So what is miraculous is that there has not been any miraculous uh, games where they came out of nowhere to win a game or steal a game. They, they're just beating the hell out of everybody. And right now, uh, you have to wonder who, you know, who is going to throw up the roadblock to them. And you almost wish they would, would lose a, a couple games and then get back on track into the playoffs where they, okay, they're going to lose some momentum. My fear is you win 20, 23, 24 games in a row, you lose one, and then you kind of lose your edge. Well, yeah. Just as the play- playoffs are coming into view. And that's the thing that scares me the most, Mark, is that, as I've said throughout the years, and the Indians have had a lot of streaks under Terry Francona. If you remember, they went on the 10-game winning streak back in 2013 to make the playoffs. They went on a 15-game winning streak a year ago. This year, uh, they've gone on this this 18-game winning streak. But what's impressive about this, and I want to get to the impressive part of it, but the the thing that bothers me is, and I've always said this, it's not what you do during the streak. It's what you do after you lose a game. That's the big thing. And, you know, you can you could totally – let's take the Dodgers for an example. The Dodgers were, without a doubt, the best team in baseball, without a doubt. Mark, they were – ESPN and all their pundits were talking about the Dodgers this year as being – 
the second coming of the 27 Yankees. And now all of a sudden, they've lost 10 in a row, 15 of their last 16. They had a 21-game lead in the division. It's now down to 9. They really have no... There's no chance of them losing the division to Arizona. But they're limping into the playoffs, and the Indians are are just, like you said, gallivanting over everybody into the playoffs. Yeah, it's... uh, You you said you've used the term miraculous a couple times, and as I mentioned, any time a team wins 18 games in a row, that's miraculous because it doesn't happen very often. Now, we were talking earlier today about the fact that the team that has the major league record are the New York Giants, I think it's from 1924, and they won 26 consecutive games. That team also won, I believe, 15 or 16 in a row at another point during that season, and yet they didn't make the playoffs, believe it or not. They didn't get to the World Series. That's amazing in and of itself. But this this team, it has no weakness right now. And barring an injury, they have to be going into the playoffs. If they just maintain a, a reasonable pace between now and the end of the year, they're not going to win them all. But if they re, if they maintain their momentum, they have to be one of the most odds-on favorites to win the World Series that I can recall in recent years, which will make them not winning it all the more disappointing. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're right. Now let's talk about that. That happened in 1916, Mark. The New York Giants won 26 games in a row. Here's the oddity that happened. The Giants had a tie in the middle of that 26 straight wins. They had a 1-1 game suspended after eight innings. They had won 12 straight before that game. They had the tie. Then they won 14 straight after it. There's there's an asterisk to that 26-game winning streak. So if you discount that winning streak, then the next highest win streak is 21 games, and you and I discussed this. I thought it was the Cubs. You thought it was the Giants. Well, we were both right. If you discount the Giants' win streak, the Cubs in 1935 have the record of 21 games. And then prior to that, man, we were both alive when it came time for this win streak. 20 games in 2002. That was the year of Moneyball and the Oakland A's. And if I recall, they did not make the playoffs either. Or they they got beaten the first round, or they didn't make it. If you they got they got beaten the first round. Yeah, they didn't win the World Series. I know that. So win streaks are great. Uh, they keep the fans excited. Uh, and but they're they're no indicator of a team winning a World Series. And we talked earlier as, as well. My concern is for the Indians that they they get into into the playoffs, obviously. And in the first round, they will play the survivor of the second, of the, of the number two, uh, teams that make the playoffs in the wild card. Now, that's going to be probably either Minnesota or the Angels, both of whom are barely over 500. It would be a travesty if one of those teams were to get hot and knock off the Indians. And that's what scares me about those, those weak teams making the playoffs. Uh, there have been teams that have played 500, just barely 500 ball that have made it. I think one team made it under 500. And they go on to win, you know, a knock out a favorite like the Indians. And I think that would be baseball's worst nightmare. That, let's say, the Angels, uh, who I think are three games over 500 right now or something like that, 
they get they make it to the playoffs. They get hot. They win the one game play in, and then they play the Indians and beat them. <laughs> I don't think anything could be worse for baseball than for that to happen. Yeah, it definitely would. And as a matter of fact, when you and I talked earlier today, we discussed the fact that the Indians' record against the Minnesota Twins this year is not good. As a matter of fact, the Indians have not been able to beat the Twins uh, in Cleveland, which is rather strange. They've only won one game against the Twins in Cleveland this year. Now, they've been a lot better up in Minnesota, but if you've got the Minnesota Twins and the Los Angeles Angels going against each other in that wild card game, and then the Indians end up with the best record in the American League. They get the winner of that wild card, like you said. And if it's the Twins, I think the Indians have got something to worry about. I want to go over a couple of stats here during this streak. Okay? This you're going to find amazing. First of all, the Indians starting pitchers during this winning streak are 16-0. and with an ERA of 1.94. Now, they've also got 112 strikeouts during this time and just 22 walks in 111 and a third innings. That is unfathomable. Yeah, that, that's, th- those are little league numbers uh, that, that you're talking about. And th- that's when you look at, again, when you break down <clears throat> these 18 games, and you look at the dominance, and, and I don't have in front of me the run differential in those 18 games, but it's got to be amazing because they, they're just beating teams rather easily at this point. And I, I didn't look at their schedule the rest of the way, but, uh, you know, you don't know how far this could go, but, I again, I hope it ends in enough time for them to get their uh, – clearly they're going to win the division, but to get their rotation ready, get everybody rested – and not worry about the streak per se, where they, they, you know, they pursue the streak in baseball history in that regard at the at the expense of lining themselves up for the playoffs. And I, I don't think Terry Francona would do that, but this team has a chance to go into the playoffs odds-on favorite and march to the playoffs based on the way they're playing now. The numbers you you mentioned. Those, those are crazy numbers. I mean, 16 and 0 with your starters, a 1.98 ERA. That, those again are little league numbers in, at, at a big league level. And I can't remember a team being this dominant. I, I remember the 20 game streak that that Oakland had, but I don't recall them being this dominant over that long period of time. No, no, they they absolutely weren't. There was a lot of games that they came from behind and won. Ask and you shall receive. During up until yesterday, so I'm going to add in yesterday's 3-2 to two victory. So during this 18-game winning streak, the Indians have outscored their opponents. You ready for this number? 121-32. to 32. They have trailed in only four of 153 total innings, and two of those four innings came Saturday when the Orioles strung together three singles, and a quick first inning run on Saturday. That's it. 121 to 32 is what the Indians have outscored their opponents by. Now, if you think the starting pitching is what has done it totally for the Indians, you're wrong. 
The Cleveland bullpen has been just as good, if not better, than what the starting pitchers have been. And, Mark, this is all without Andrew Miller. Because Andrew Miller has been on the disabled list, the 10-day disabled list, twice in the last month. The Indians relief corps during this 18-game winning streak has a 1.42 ERA, including two and two-thirds scoreless innings on Sunday night, retiring all eight batters they faced with 51 strikeouts during the streak and only 11 walks. This is just, you're like, you're right. These are little league numbers. Yeah, it's it's something to savor if you're a Cleveland Indian fan, and um, th- this team should win the World Series. You know, if everything goes to uh, the way the universe is supposed to go, uh, this is the best team in baseball, the best pitching. They're get, getting great hitting, great. They, they've got it all. And that's why I'm so afraid that they could stub their toe uh, against the, the winner of that play-in game. And I, I, if, if that were to happen... Uh, I, I wonder if baseball would take another look at this playoff situation and, and maybe rather than um, they should have the best teams playing here. And in some cases, the, the the way they select these these play-in teams or the wild-card teams, I wonder if there could be a better way so you, you could have them all from the same division for that matter uh, if, if you have the best teams out there. But I don't know how you get around it. I see the benefit of it. Economically, for sure, uh, fan interest, for sure. Uh, but it would really be a shame if, if a team like the Indians uh, were to be knocked off in that first round. Well, you know, they've talked throughout the years, Mark, about giving the team with the best record more home games during a best-of-seven series. In other words, it wouldn't be the first two games at home and then three on the road or and then back home for the last two. They they could conceivably give the first four games to, let's say, the Indians, and then just one game giving it to the wild card team, so at least they'd be able to go home and play a game, and then the last two uh, back at the team with the best record. They've talked about doing things like that, too. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, too. I mean, if, in the case, say, the Indians in the second round were to play the Twins, I mean, I would go so far as to say that all the games are played in Cleveland. That that the the, the wild card team, okay, you're in the playoffs, but you've got to overcome uh, a, a bigger obstacle than just an extra game at home for for the, the for the Indians. Let's say uh, something like the Indians losing would probably prompt Major League Baseball to take another look at this thing. But let's not look on the negative side. The Indians should, if, whether they play the Twins or they play the Angels, whoever they play, they should you know, beat them in, in consecutive games. They're, they're that much better. Well, let me but ask. I, I'm looking forward. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm looking forward to, you know, the at one time, the, you know, the dream matchup was going to be the Dodgers and the Indians in the World Series. Teams just running away with their respective divisions and leagues. And then they march through the playoffs and talk about a ratings game. Wow. <laughs> Cleveland and, and and the Dodgers would have been a terrific situation. But the Dodgers have lost, what, 15 out of 16? They've lost 10 in a row, something like that. And right now, they're not – they could lose home field advantage. And like you said, they have a nine-game lead, so they're going to win their division. But talk about a team limping into the playoffs – as opposed to the Indians you know, coming in like a bulldozer 
it, it, it certainly changes the dynamic of that kind of, of World Series. Well, what this streak has done for the Indians is it's given them the best record in the American League. They're now at 87 and 56, 31 games over 500. They've got a 13-game lead over the Twins in the AL Central. The Astros, when they lost Carlos Correa, their their big-time shortstop, probably their best player, Mark, in the middle of June, and he went down, they suddenly went on this bad winning streak, or bad losing streak, I should say, and they have dropped behind the Indians now by a game with a record of 86-57. and 57. Now, they've also got a 13-game lead on the Angels, so they're in no danger of losing the division, but what they want is they want home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs. Right now, the Indians have got it. They're a game up, but the Indians also have a West Coast road trip coming up here at the in about a week, and we'll talk about that coming up a little bit later on. The Red Sox, meanwhile, have a three and a half game lead over the Yankees in the AL East. They're at 81 and 62. The Yankees are at 77 and 65. And like you said, the Yankees are probably a shoe in at getting the the top spot in the wild card race. Now, after that comes the Minnesota Twins at 74 and 69. And then the Angels at 73 and 70. So they are a game behind the Twins in the wild card race. Meanwhile, over in the National League, Mark, the Nationals clinched the division yesterday. So Dusty Baker's back into the playoffs again. They won their game. They've won the division. They're up by 20 games. They clinched it over the Marlins. They're in. You know, a team that everybody's forgetting, but they're the defending World Series champions are the Chicago Cubs. They're at 77 and 66. They're a game up on the Cardinals and the Brewers. And, you know, I wanted to ask you this question a week ago, but I didn't get to it. We ran out of time. The Cardinals traded Mike Leake to Seattle two weeks ago. I took that to mean that the Cardinals were packing in the season. They were giving up on winning the division and even making the playoffs. But, Mark, they're still only two games behind the Cubs right now in the division. Yeah, I don't think they were giving up on the division. I think they were giving up on Mike Leake. Uh, he had not pitched well. And he, he had not pitched well for two years for the Cardinals after they signed him to that big contract. Now, the first question I had is, why did Seattle want him? Because <clears throat> you're right, in terms of the, the Cardinals, they're no shoe-in to win the division. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. You know, the Reds have a, an interesting schedule because they play Milwaukee and the Cubs the last six games of the season, so the Reds could actually have a, a real impact on what's going to be happening in the, in the Central. And that, that, that at least makes the games exciting for Reds fans, that there, there is something to play for. It keeps the guys uh, you know, motivated and, and all that. So, uh, yeah, that, that Central, I thought it was over uh, a month ago. The, the Cubs got hot. The Cardinals had been hot, then they cooled off. The Pirates fell out of the way, but Milwaukee just hangs in there, and I thought they were dead when the Reds swept them last week. I thought they were completely out of it, but they, they've recovered, and like you said, I mean, this, the Reds have, they got three games against the, or, I'm sorry, three games against the Cardinals at home, then they have games on the road against the Cardinals, they have three games against the Pirates, they've got Three games against the Boston Red Sox, and that will be interesting because the Reds can have an impact yeah. on the American League race as well. 
Then they got they end up the season uh, three games in Milwaukee and three games in Chicago. So every game the Reds have the rest of the year has an impact on a pennant race, whether it's the National League Central, which clearly is the most important one for the Reds, but but even the Red Sox, uh, if the Reds could uh, you know play 500 ball, that's going to wreak havoc on some of these teams. And again, I thought I thought they had really dug the grave for the Brewers, but credit to them, they've hung in there. And you know what's great about that, Mark? It gives the Reds a reason to play throughout the yeah. entire season. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that... it puts these young pitchers. It, it makes these young pitchers. They, they put them in something that's more than just a September game with a team fifteen games out of first place, which is nothing more than you know, like an exhibition game in many cases. But I know the Reds, uh, as a responsibility to the rest of the league, they're going to keep their starters in there. Uh, they're not going to rest people. They're, they're going to play to win. And that's the that's called the ethics of baseball. And every game, starting tomorrow night, is important. And here's so an oddity. That, that's for the Reds. Here's an oddity in the Reds' schedule as I look at it. They've got the next three Monday nights off. For the rest of the season, they don't play again on a Monday night unless they have to make up a game. But this week, or tonight, next week, and on the 25th, they are off for the on those Monday nights. Yeah, Major League Baseball does that on purpose. If you look at the schedules of a lot of teams, and you and you hit the reason why, if there is a rainout or there has been a rainout, they want to keep those Mondays open as a possible makeup game, so you don't have to do it after the season. Like uh, on October second, you wouldn't right. want to play. Have to play there because it messes up the playoffs. So uh, again, the Reds' starting rotation uh, is getting better. Uh, they played one game over five hundred in August, which is a real <laughs> accomplishment for the Reds, and they're playing about five hundred now. So if if they continue to um, you know play five hundred the rest of the of the year, that would be a positive sign. I like to see them, uh, you know, have a winning. Uh, September, that would give them two months in a row with a winning record. But uh, things are getting better. The starting pitching has, has has calmed down a bit. Certainly, the ERA has gone down from the starting rotation. Uh, what's a little been a little choppy is the offense. I mean, this team is capable of scoring 12 runs in a game, but uh, recently they've also been shut out or scored one, two, or less runs uh, quite a bit. So that could be you know, guys just getting tired. Uh, that offense has carried the team the whole year. But, oh, they have. Uh, there is, you know, there is an increase in the um, with Sal Romano and even Homer Bailey pitching re- reasonably well. Uh, Castillo was outstanding his last start, so there is some hope. Uh, but boy, uh, th- there's a lot of unanswered questions going into spring training of 2018. Well, the Reds did something very. Impressive yesterday, they outscored the Bengals. Well, that wouldn't take much. Um, <laughs> we can have our, uh, our football discussion later on, but uh, boy, that was that, that's an awful team right now. So you know, the Reds fans or Cincinnati fans in general, uh, not a lot to cheer about at this point in the year. But um, looking at this this schedule, I am excited about the impact and the importance of the games the Reds will be playing. And that that will put those young pitchers under pressure. And that's what you want to see, is how do they respond to a, a full house on the road 
Uh, they're going to have, let me see, they have three games against the Cardinals on the road. Then they have the final six games of the year on the road against the Brewers and Cubs. And you can bet uh, both of those venues will be filled to the rafters because those teams will be in the playoffs. And every game the Reds play, especially that last week, uh, that's going to that's gonna be a very exciting time. Yeah, and let's not forget two very important dates that the Reds have coming up. For example, on Thursday, the 21st, they've got the Bark in the Park night, so be sure to take your dog down to Great American Ballpark, and you can get get your dog in for free. Then they've got on the 23rd mark against the Red Sox, Tucker Barnhart bobblehead night. He was the fan vote winner for the, they wanted him to have the bobblehead dolls. So they're giving away Tucker Barnhart bobblehead dolls. And then, of course, on Saturday or Sunday, the 24th, it's Fan Appreciation Day, which is always fun. The Reds always seem to put on a great Fan Appreciation Day. They always have, all the way back to the 70s. I think they've they've done a great job with yeah, that. Yeah, you're right. They, they have. They they used to give away a car, and they don't do that anymore. But I, I remember being down there on Fan Appreciation Appreciation Day, hoping I'd win that car. Never did. But uh, you know, you mentioned in passing Tucker Barnhart. You know, th- th- this guy has all of a sudden become a really good catcher. He's hitting 273, 274. He's hit six or seven home runs. He's been driving in runs. He's a great defensive catcher and has had a really good year very quietly when the rest of the, all the fans were waiting for Devin Mesoraco to make his miraculous comeback. It didn't happen, and it'll be interesting next year to see what happens with the Reds and, and their catching situation. Would they go out into the market and try and replace Mesoraco? He's got one year left in that contract. But he has proven, unfortunately, that he can't stay healthy. Well, you, so, know, you know, if you're a general. you know how I feel about Devin Mazzarocco. I think the Reds should just trade him and make Tucker Barnhart their their top catcher. Yeah, they they may do that, and he may give them reason to do that. But on the other hand, who are you going to trade Mazzarocco to? Who would take him at this point? Well, I think if you put, you know, where he always, up until this last injury, where he's always had problems is out in the field. Where he's been hurt is from the standpoint of him being a catcher. If you send him to the American League where he can be a DH, I think you've got somebody that, you've got several suitors. And, yeah, I know he's he's injury prone and a lot of teams are going to shy away from him. But you've always got, it only takes one, Mark. That's all it takes is one. Well, they'd have to wait until the following year because his contract next year costs, I think he, he makes eight or nine million dollars next year or more. A crazy contract. Four year deal that it was, it was really, it was almost as bad as a Homer Bailey deal. But, you know, if he, depends on what happens to him in 2018, uh, no one's going to pick up that contract. And if they did, they, the Reds wouldn't get anything in return, just some contract relief. And I don't think that would be enough for them to trade him, but, uh, again, that those are one of the decisions the Reds have to make in the off season, one of many. Uh, but I think the bigger bigger issue is what is going to be happening with that infield. And you look around that infield right now. Uh, we've been talking about the Indians, but you know, Joey Votto is having another Joey Votto year. Just enough said. But um, Scooter Jeanette. 24, 25 home runs. This guy still has a chance to drive in 100 runs this yeah, year. Yeah, he does. And, and then uh, you have Cozart at shortstop, 19 home runs, and Suarez at third base. He's going to hit 25 or 30 home runs this year. That's a lot of home runs in your infield. 
Mark, we talked a little bit, we touched upon it a week ago from a different point of view as to um, as far as how the how the Reds front office compared to where the Indians were a few years ago. Mark, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you have confidence in the Reds front office, the way it is currently constructed, to be able to make trades that will improve this ball club? If Williams is allowed to do it without the input of the former administration, then you have to give him the benefit of the doubt and see what he can do. I'm afraid that the the inherent culture of that organization is going to inhibit any general manager from making that team a winner over a long period of time. This team has only had three winning seasons in the last 17 years. That is something fundamentally wrong with the, with the organization. That's not a general manager per se, but I think Williams is a, is a bright young guy and has a chance to be a good general manager. At least he deserves the opportunity to do it. But th- there's a culture in place there, and that's what scares me, and that's what should scare a lot of fans. Everyone says Bob Castellini is a great guy. I've got no reason to doubt that. He's he gives away lots of money to the community. He's, he, you know, his heart, I know he loves the Reds, but you can love something and not do it justice. And I'm afraid whatever strategy, whatever is in their business plan about how to run that organization, it, it is, it is obviously flawed. That, that pen they have doesn't work when you have only three winning seasons out of 17 years. I mean, that's like a, a company uh, that would, you know, have a business plan and they lose money 14 out of 17 years. The problem is the Reds, as a, as a business entity, that it doesn't lose money. It makes a ton of money. The question is, what has been plowed back into this organization compared to other teams? Is it all bad luck that over 14 out of 17 years that you have a losing record? It can't be all bad luck. And, you know, you, you look at a guy like Nick Senzel. Well, Senzel has a chance, according to everybody, to be a great hitter. Let's hope that's right. Because if he's not, if he's not an all-star third baseman in the next two or three years, this organization has made another mistake. And you go down the list of the drafts they've made, and it has not worked out. Their trades, actually their trades haven't been too bad, but whatever overall plan has has been agreed to by the board of directors, by the president, by all the guys in charge, it hasn't worked. So your question, do I have faith in Williams? I don't have faith in anybody unless that plan changes. Well, when you look at the ownership of Bob Castellini, first of all, he it was his second GM, Walt Jockety, that I, I think really had a problem. But Castellini, to his credit, Mark, has spent the money. It may not have been wisely, but he's proven that he will spend the money if he thinks he can get a winner. Give me an example of that, because I, I don't agree with that. Why, why don't you? I mean, first of all, okay, he had a winning team, a team that won the division back in 2010, made the playoffs, was a winning team in 2012, 2013, wait, and, wait, and then wait, they wait, went wait, downhill. Let me, let me stop you there. In 2010, they, they won the division, right, and they got swept. They got swept by the Phillies. 
pardon me, throughout that year, that team offensively was very weak. Uh, they, they, they got there because of great pitching. So if you, if you get swept and you were weak in 2010 offensively, wouldn't you go out and do something about the offense in 2011? No, no. I'm not talking about doing so. What I'm talking about is he has spent the money on players that he, for example, he spent the money on Joey Votto. He spent the money on Jay Bruce. He spent the money on Homer Bailey. He spent the money on those players. He spent the money on Devin Mesoraco, as you said earlier, because he thought Devin Mesoraco was going to be a key instrument to the team going into the future. Now, was he right on those accounts? No, he was right on one ball player, and that was Joey Votto. The secondary That's ball right. player was Jay Bruce. You could say whether he's right or wrong. You could argue it either way. It doesn't matter. Jay Bruce is no longer with the franchise. Homer Bailey has hamstrung this team. He he has really hamstrung yeah, I, this team. Yeah, that goes back to my issue about the plan. What's your plan? Because those decisions, I, I have to think that those recommendations for those deals came from Jockety. I would agree. And if that's the case, do you agree? I agree. Okay, then, then the, then the plan to have Jockety as your GM was flawed to say the least. <laughs> you and I both agreed on that. I think almost from the very beginning because of what he did with St. Yeah. Louis. Well, that, that that's my that's my point. That the decisions that have been made by the senior management of the organization have not been good ones. Now you, you can blame the general manager, but ultimately it's the ownership that has to agree. To sign Homer Bailey, who only was four games over 500, the only thing he had done is pitch two no-hitters. And you sign that guy to a seven-year contract, 127 million bucks. Are you kidding me? Well, you know, I, somebody had to co- go into, into Castle and his office and say, hey, Bob, I got a great deal for you. Let's sign Homer Bailey to a $100 million contract. And he said yes. And you signed Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce at the time had a 239 lifetime batting average. He had a lot of home runs. And I like Jay Bruce, but was that a wise move? Probably not. You signed Devin Mazzaracco to a four-year contract when he had one good year. Was that a good deal? No. So somebody approved what Jockety did. And that's why you have to look beyond whoever has the GM title and find out what the plan is for that, for that organization. Compare it to the Indians over the same period of time. Since 2010, the Indians haven't made many mistakes. Um, I would agree with you to a certain extent. I mean, they, they, I, I think they've made mistakes, but those mistakes have been definitely underscored uh, because of the successes that they've had. And that wasn't my point. My point was Castellini has proven that he would spend the money on this ball club. Now, has he done it in the right way? No, but he's proven that he will spend the money. Well, his, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I'd like to compare the Reds' current budget to other teams in the league because I would, without knowing, I would venture to say they're in the lower half. And maybe I could be wrong, but uh, th- these other teams that are competitive, the Indians went out and look what they did in the off season. <laughs> I mean, jeez, I mean they won the pennant in the off season. And that's what the Reds have not done over the last decade. They've not gone out and got a marquee player. They just refuse to do it. They've tried to do it internally, and it hasn't worked out. Let's take, let's take a look at the salaries per teams. 
uh, in Major League Baseball. And let's see exactly where the Cincinnati Reds are because you, you may have a point there, Mark, that, I mean, when you, when you look at this, and let, let's take a look at the 2017 salary tracker. And where are the Cincinnati Reds? I'm going to scroll down, and they are all the way down to number 23 is where they're at as as far as what their their average salary and what their salary is for the entire team. Who's the number one on the 25-man roster? Well, that's the Los Angeles Dodgers. Then come the Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. No surprise on any of those. And their total payroll, $260 million for the Dodgers. That includes their entire 40-man roster. $223 million for the Yankees. $222 million for the Boston Red Sox. The number four team, Toronto. Number five, this one's going to shock the heck out of you. The number five team, the Detroit Tigers, believe it or not. Where are the Cleveland Indians? The Cleveland Indians are all the way down to 19, Mark, 138 million. And that includes the contract that they gave Encarnacion. Well, again, if you look at what the Reds have done, you could say, to me, you make mistakes when you sign a free agent that doesn't work out. That's a mistake. And that's happened a lot. And you, I really don't hold a team accountable for that to a large degree. You can't look into the future. But the Reds have, with the limited money they invest, you said they're 23rd on the list? Yes. Well, you can't make mistakes when you're 23rd on the list in terms of investing in your product. And that's what that number means. They are the 23rd most aggressive team in investing in their product. Their product is a 40-man roster on the field. They don't invest in that. You can't argue about it. It's an objective number. So if you're going to be 23rd, you've got to be perfect. Every trade has to be perfect. Every draft choice has to be perfect if you're going to be competitive. The Reds aren't competitive. They they have the worst record in baseball of the last four years, lost more games than any team in baseball. So it goes back to my point. Their plan is wrong. Their plan's wrong. All right, let's so take... you can't blame the can't blame the GM and you can't blame the field manager for that. All right, let's take a look at this. Number twenty. I'm gonna go twenty through thirty, okay? And just just tell me what these teams have in common. We'll we'll go through this. Arizona right now is number twenty. They've got a, a payroll of one hundred eighteen million six hundred forty eight thousand. They're a playoff team, so they've spent their money wisely. Then you've got Miami at number twenty one. Twenty two is Philadelphia. Twenty three is Cincinnati at one hundred fourteen million three hundred fifty six thousand. Right behind Cincinnati, only about fifty thousand dollars behind is the Atlanta Braves. Then you've got the Pittsburgh Pirates at twenty five at a hundred and nine million. Then come the Chicago White Sox, the Tampa Bay Rays, the San Diego Padres, the Oakland Athletics. Do you know who the number 30 team is in Major League Baseball, the lowest payroll in baseball is? The Milwaukee Brewers. 82938000 Talk about a team that's getting the bang for the buck. Absolutely, and I guess that's my point. Uh, they are a competitive team now, and that is with Ryan Braun who signed a big-time contract with that team. Yeah, you're right. But they, they, they have done a lot of things right to make that, that team competitive, and then, of course, they're, they're still in the pennant race. 
So the, 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 the organizational culture of a team, in, in many cases, and I don't, I'm, I'm not pretending to know the, the intricacies of how the Reds distribute profits and uh, that kind of thing, but you have to make a decision at some point. Do we enrich our investors, we give them a dividend on, on, on profits, and we establish a profit level that makes those, those investors healthy and wealthy and all that stuff, or do we say, look, guys, there'll be no distribution of profits because we're going to invest in a right fielder, or we're going to invest in a, in a starting pitcher, or we're going to invest in two starting pitchers. Those are the kinds of cultural decisions that a business, i.e. a baseball team, has to make. Now, Castellini has said he personally doesn't take a profit out of the team, and I believe him. If he said it, I believe him. That does not mean he's not paying investors. <laughs> that does not mean that the guys who invested or the families who invested in the Reds aren't getting a return on their investment. They should, but do they? should they do it every year, and to what extent? That's why you, the, these proclamations of, geez, I'm not taking any money, I don't buy into that, because there is, this team has made a lot of money, and what people forget, too, is the, the, the increase in capital gain and value of this team since Gasoline took over 12 years ago. It, it's, it's huge. It's, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars of increased value that at some point you've got to invest in your product. And when you're 23rd in the league and you're last, you're telling me you're not investing. And if you are investing, you're investing very poorly. Mark, that's where the Indians turned the corner, was when Dick Jacobs, back in the early 90s, told John Hart, and I know I've told this story time and time again, he told John Hart he wanted an 8% return on his money every year, and after that he could spend what he wanted on that team. That was it. He wanted an 8% return. They had a budget set. They had a plan set. Now, I have absolutely no problems with Castellini taking a profit. I feel that these owners... To be honest with you, Mark, if they're going to spend that kind of money for a baseball team, they deserve to get a return on their money. I've got absolutely no problem with that. But like you said, you have got to be able to return some of the profit, if not all of it, after the owners, the ownership gets its return on its money, just like Dick Jacobs did. And remember, Dick Jacobs is unlike Castellini. When he owned the Indians, he was the sole owner. He had no minority ownership in this team whatsoever. He bought the team for, I believe, don't hold me to this number, but I believe it was around $30 million for what he bought the team. Mark, he sold the team for over $400 million back in the, the early 2000s. So he got his money and more out of the ball club. But Castellini has got to have a plan. He's got to set something up. And we both know that if he is leaning on Walt Jockety to make that plan and to run this organization and to consult him on how to run this organization, this organization is never going to change. You know, Dave, you've been looking up some interesting statistics, and I won't put you to the test tonight, but um, it would be very interesting to see what the the share in TV revenues from Major League Baseball when they negotiated with Fox and NBC and all these other networks to, to air baseball, each team gets an equal share of that contract. And I would, I, I'm going to make a, without knowing what the number is, I would bet 
the share the Reds get on their TV revenues alone. This is TV. This is not selling tickets or hot dogs or beer or anything. This is on TV. Comes very close to their their number in terms of what they pay players. So uh, that would be interesting to, to check that out over the week. But that, that's where I get frustrated because these teams are making tons of money, making tons of money. And when I hear a, a, a owner like Castellini say, yeah, I'm really competitive and I really want to win, Show me the dollars, okay? Make the investment. I don't care if you're number one, two, or even in the top ten. But at least be 13th, 14th, 15th in the payroll and give yourself a chance to win because with the, with the investment they're making now, they have no chance to win. And that's where it comes down to how the organization is structured. Well, just a quick look to try to answer your question, Mark, as to how much money each team is getting from this contract, it's about $62 million a year that these teams are getting from the TV contracts, just on the national level. That does not include what they're getting from their local TV networks. Or radio networks. So I would bet, if you add everything up, they're probably in the $80 million range on on TV and radio. That's just revenue coming in from that. So that, that pays a big chunk of all the salaries, not forget the ticket sales, which the Reds... Their, their ticket sales have gone down as they should over the last four years. So, you know, your your question is uh, about Williams uh, is a very good one. I have no reason not to believe in his talents and abilities and all that. But uh, again, if you have an organization that's not going to invest, then you're going to be in last place, and you're going to be in last place for another three or four or five years. And, and this Reds team is a team that if they invest in the starting pitching, right now, Mark, I think the, the, the Reds are caught in the cycle that the Indians were caught in in the 1970s and 80s. One year they've got good hitting, no pitching. The next year they've got great pitching and no hitting because they went out during the off season and they traded away all their pitchers for hitters. And then the next season it was vice versa. This is something that I don't want to see the Reds do. Mark, you and I are totally uh, opposed in this opinion. You think the Reds pitching, it doesn't have any promise. I think this this year's season has told the Reds a tremendous amount about the pitchers that they have in their organization and what they have to work with at the major league level. Of anybody, I would say, wow, that, that person in games next year. I don't know who that is. Well, I think I think what they've learned, though, is it doesn't have to be next year. They've learned that Castillo, I think, can, th- can pitch at the major league level. I think they've learned that. I think they've learned that a couple of other pitchers, at, at, at least one other that has come up this year, can pitch on, out of the bullpen. I think Iglesias is another guy that they've learned that you could depend upon out of the bullpen. I, I think they've learned a lot about the pitchers that they've got in their organization as to what... Well, again, what I think... I'm looking at the glass half empty. I think they've learned a lot this year. They've learned a lot that says these guys can't pitch. I disagree with you with Lorenzen. Lorenzen, the second half of the year, has pitched very, very badly. Uh, his ERA is over six the second half of the year. Uh, he, he, gave, he gives up a home run almost every game he comes in to pitch. I'm not convinced he has the stuff or the mental makeup to, to be a high-end closer. Iglesias, yeah, I put him in the rotation, starting rotation. End of story. And, but outside of that, 
I'm afraid what they've learned is that most of these guys can't pitch at the big league level and be effective. And, you know, when you've already lost, had losing seasons four years in a row and been in last place four years in a row, I just I don't see what they've learned this year that indicates next year is going to be any better. Mark, one of the funnier things that has happened this season uh, had to be what happened yesterday in the middle of the seventh inning in the Reds game yesterday when Brian Price came out to argue Scooter Jeanette being ejected from the ballgame for arguing a called third strike. And I'm not going to – I don't know the name of the home plate umpire. All I know is that he's only been in the major leagues now for about the last month and a half. I I thought – First of all, I thought he let Scooter Jeanette go way too far. He should have ejected him the minute that Scooter bounced his helmet off home plate. But when he didn't do that and Jeanette turned around and walked away, I thought, okay, if you're not going to throw him out of the game, then fine. And for some reason, then about 15 seconds after Scooter did that, that's when the home plate umpire decided to throw Jeanette out of the ball game, and everybody was shocked about it, including Brian Price, who came out to argue. And, of course, in the middle of the seventh inning, what do they play? God bless America. And when that that happens, then Brian Price immediately took his hat off. The umpires took their hats off, put them over their hearts, and they stood there in honor of God bless America. And then as soon as the song was over, Brian Price continued the argument. <laughs> One of the yeah, funnier things that happened. Funny. It had been real funny. Had uh, Brian Price been saying something under his breath the whole time to the umpire, like, you rotten, no good... <laughs> jerk or whatever he said. <laughs> and the umpire wouldn't have had an opportunity to throw him out. So, yeah, that was kind of humorous. But, uh, yes, uh, speaking of Jeanette, we had mentioned before that this guy has a chance for 100 RBIs this year. He's going to have to get hot. But he's got 85 already. And uh, that's going to be a big decision for this team to make. What do you do with Scooter Jeanette next year? He's under control. But he does have a... Um, uh, what's the what's the term? Not option. Um, he can. He's not a free agent this year, and I've forgotten the term. Oh, he's he's that's under arbitration. Yeah, arbitration uh, ready. So, would you sign him? You're Williams. What would you do? Oh, I, I've got to sign the guy. The guy to me has proven throughout his major league career. You remember, I was shocked that Milwaukee let him go. I couldn't believe that Milwaukee let this guy go. He'd been their starting second baseman for the last three years and had done a nice job for them. He comes to Cincinnati, his hometown, and look what he's done for the Reds. I think you've got to sign this guy. You just can't let this guy walk. I agree with you. And uh, the other big issue is what happens is going to be happening with Nick Senzel. I don't know if he's coming back for the playoffs or not. That was up in the air last week. Uh, he's suffering from vertigo. And that is nothing to fool with. If it's truly vertigo, that, that, that could be problematic. Uh, but this guy apparently is major league ready. I mean, if he is able to play winter ball, there's a chance he's going to be on the roster at some point next year. He, he's just, I think he hit 350 this year in the minors. So th- this is a real talent that you don't want to have a medical issue with. But if he's as good as expected to be, uh, the Reds have some real decisions to make. And, uh, the, the biggest decision will be Cozart, what do you do with him, and then what do you do with Scooter Jeanette? And if you sign both of them, then you probably get rid of Suarez. Uh, I don't know where you play him if you don't. Uh, well, you've always told me that 
Duvall can play center or uh, Shebler can play center. Well, let's find out if they can play center and move move Suarez to left field because I'm telling you, Suarez is the type of guy, Mark, that I don't think you want to get rid of. I really don't. I don't either. I really don't either. And, you know, the, the question is then, the, the big issue could also be what do you do with Billy Hamilton? Billy Hamilton is, is a great, exciting player uh, in a lot of ways, but he's a 240-250 hitter. And do you, you take his defense and just live with the, with the weak offense, no home runs or virtually no home runs, and um, or do you probably get a pretty good return for a guy like that? A lot of decisions have to be made over this off season, and we everybody every Reds fan hopes Williams is up to the task because some big decisions that will impact this team for the next decade, and that's no exaggeration, uh, are on the table. Well, and another thing, Mark, uh, as as we look at this today is today we we haven't really said anything about it, but today is September 11th, 9/11, and of course everybody knows what happened 16 years ago. Mark, do you remember where you were when you you saw the the planes go into the towers in New York? I absolutely do. I was teaching a class in commercial real estate down in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, we you know we we heard it. First thing in the morning, when it happened, somebody came in. There's been an attack on the World Trade Center. And we didn't know what to do. We were all down in Jacksonville. And uh, I remember my wife had called me and said that uh, sirens are going off in the Dayton, Ohio area. The airports were closed. All this was happening. And then uh, there was a, a scramble of F-14 jets at a Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, or F-15 jets, out of uh, the Air Force Base here. And they broke windows going to sound barrier and all this stuff. So it was, it was a day none of us will ever forget. And uh, uh, one of the most haunting things I remember about that episode was what happened uh, that, I, I guess it wasn't called City Field, but the, the Mets and Yankees played. Uh, and that was that was a very heartrending um, event. And uh, among all the things that you want to forget, that was that was actually something that brought people back together. Yeah, and the reason I brought that up was not only because today is the anniversary of that, but because we talked about the playing of God Bless America during the seventh inning stretch, and that's the reason that it's played now, Mark, is because of what happened in 9-11. Yeah, and if there, there's a very interesting, we have more time, there's a, there's a very interesting history about how the Star Spangled Banner began to be played at ball games at all. Uh, at the Go ahead. Beginning of every game. Go ahead. Tell it. Well, basically, it was back in the in the early 1920s. Uh, there had been a um, an event, and somebody had suggested they play the Star Spangled Banner, and uh, they did, and people liked it. And and I remember the story being told that it, it, it was it just started being played, and people were a little confused, but they all stood and they put their hands over their hearts and took their hats off and all that stuff. And it was a very moving moment. And I'll, I'll do some homework on that and get the details of it. But it caught on with that. It wasn't announced. It wasn't, you know, going to be done. It's, the band just did it. And the fans reacted. And that reaction caused baseball to say, wait a minute, uh, we got to do that before every game. And that's, and that's what happened. I'm not going to give my opinion on the national anthem being played before – athletic events and these players that 
that sit and everything, Mark. But I did hear a very interesting uh, comment about it, and that was the people that are so upset about the players who sit during the national anthem, do they stand in their homes and salute when it's being played on TV? <laughs> that's, that's a real good point. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, this is no place for politics on our show. But, no, no, it's just uh, yeah. it's an it's interesting, interesting thought. Yeah. It is yeah. very just a very. And one final note before we go into what's happening with the Reds and the Indians this week, Mark. One final note: Outlander returned last night. Were you glued to your television set? Absolutely glued, <laughs> uh, but there, there wasn't nearly as much sex or murder as I'd hoped. <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> But and, and normally there's a lot of both in these in these things. Uh, but uh, it, I'm sure it's just setting the stage for a lot more of both down down the, the rest of the season. Mark, I would say that that episode better set up the stage for a lot more that's happening this season because last night's episode was pretty boring for an opening season episode. Well, it, it sounded it looked to me a lot like a soap opera uh, more than a something that had a lot of action in it compared to the last several seasons. So I'm sure they'll do better. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> Mark, what do the Reds have coming up after tonight? They're off tonight, but what do they have coming up the rest of the week? On Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they're going to be in St. Louis against the Cardinals, and then they come back home against the Pirates uh, over the weekend. And as we mentioned, they, then they go on the road again, or they're, they're home up until their final uh, Two, uh, one week on the road against the Brewers and Cubs. So, really exciting baseball for the Reds. How about the Indians? Well, the Indians, they've who got... Who are they going to beat this week? Who are they, they going to lose to, you mean? No, no who are they going to beat this week? <laughs> well, they're going to beat uh, the Tigers and the Royals. They've got a three-game set coming up with the Tigers tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday afternoon. That's a businessman special. And then they've got a four-game set Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at home against the Kansas City Royals, and then they go on that West Coast road trip, Mark. Next week, they're going to be in California facing the Angels, and then they go to Seattle and face the Mariners. That is never an easy trek to go to California, up to Seattle, and then come home. Never an easy trek. So that's what the Indians have got, not only this week, but coming up next week. And we'll talk more about that coming up next week on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark, that's going to do it. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one, Dave. You too. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us here this evening on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And we will be back next week on our for t another uh, show beginning at 9 o'clock next week on UltimateSportsTalk.com. That's going to do it for us here this evening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody.